This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by Swinburne Astronomy Online, the world's longest-running online astronomy degree program. Visit astronomy.swin.edu.au for more information. Astronomy Cast, episode 270 for Monday, June 18, 2012, Inertia. Welcome to Astronomy Cast, our weekly facts-based journey through the cosmos, where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. My name is Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today, and with me is Dr. Pamela Gay, a professor at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville. Hi, Pamela. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Fraser? Doing great. So actually, uh, again, warping space and time. This is the second episode that we're recording on this day, uh, which is actually in July, moments before the announcement of the Higgs boson. Uh, but uh, as we're catching up shows, so we're actually only uh, like a couple of episodes behind now. Yeah. We will be caught up this week, I think. Maybe Wednesday, maybe Friday we can record. Yeah, we, we will be caught up. Yeah. And then we will... I won't say that we'll never fall behind again because we, we absolutely will. will because that's just just the reality. Yeah. So um, now we had a you know we had a couple of people who posted uh, sad reviews in iTunes because uh, Astronomy Cast was a little bit late and they took away we're some stars sorry. from us. So we're really sorry for all of you who felt that us being late uh, detracted from the Astronomy Cast experience. We understand that keeping this show coming out on a very regular basis is really important to you and it's important to us and we will absolutely uh, focus our energy on getting this show out as regular as we can. Now, if you do love Astronomy Cast or you know feel like you need to give a honest review, the the iTunes reviews are a great place to do that. So you can just do a search for Astronomy Cast on iTunes and you can give us a review. Be honest, you yeah. know, but uh, it's great. Those reviews are wonderful and we really appreciate them. So, And we do read them and take them to heart. We absolutely do. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, the, the funny thing is um, because I'm in Canada, I see a tiny version of the number of, of reviews and I only thought we had a few reviews. And then I was able to switch my country to look pretend like I was in the US and then I could see all of the reviews. And it was like a thousand or fifteen hundred reviews or something like that. It was quite overwhelming to see these all at the same time. Uh, the other thing that's really important to know is uh, Google Plus, Google, recorded a documentary about the virtual star parties that we do. Uh, which is really cool. So they actually flew a team of filmmakers out to, you know, all across uh, North America to our friends in uh, North Carolina and in uh, your house, Pamela, and yes. my house here on Vancouver Island and down in down in Los Angeles to meet with Gary. And they recorded this really moving uh, documentary about the star parties that we do. And it's on YouTube and you can get it from, you know, I'm sure we'll put it into the show notes. But if you haven't seen this, it is unbelievable. It is really cool. And I highly recommend that everybody watches yeah. it. It's, it's really neat. So, and if you want, remember, we always do our virtual star parties every Sunday night uh, from, you know, when it gets dark on the West Coast for about an hour, hour and a half. And we bring in a live view of telescopes. So we're trying to use all the different media to, to the, in the appropriate ways so that people can appreciate astronomy as, as much as we do. All right, let's get recording. This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by Eighth Light Inc. Eighth Light is an agile software development company. They craft beautiful applications that are durable and reliable. Eighth Light provides disciplined software leadership on demand and shares its expertise to make your project better. For more information, visit them online at www.eighthlight.com. Just remember, that's www.thedigit8th. 
L-I-G-H-T dot com. Drop them a note. Eighth Light. Software is their craft. So an object at rest tends to stay at rest. An object in motion tends to stay in motion. Isaac Newton dismantled the traditional idea that objects would tend to slow down over time and described the concept of inertia, the amount an object will resist changes to its motion. Inertia. All right, Pamela. So, so then I think this is where we really kind of need to go back into history and get an idea. You know, the traditional, the, the ancient Greeks, you know, the medieval scientists, if you can call them that, what did they think about the way motion worked? Well, the initial ideas actually go all the way back to Aristotle. And he thought that an object in motion would, over time, just stop. And he explained the motion of things like projectiles through the air as the median that they were flying through, so in this case the air, was providing that extra something that was needed to keep them in motion while they flew. Now, Whoa. this Whoa, had... So I didn't understand that. Hold on, what? The air was... The air was somehow going, keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. And, and so his idea was that if you were able to create a vacuum, objects wouldn't move through vacuums, which is a really weird concept. So the... The air provided a way to propel objects forward? It, it kept them in motion it somehow. It kept them in motion somehow, but but not accelerating. They would still slow down. Well, and, and that was the crazy thing, was, was an object falling through air is clearly accelerating. A projectile goes up, arcs, and then accelerates back down. So somehow the air was responsible for all of this craziness. Oh, so in other words, you, no, I understand. But you, you, so in other words, you go and you take an object up to the top of a cliff and you drop yeah. it. The air is going to be accelerating it towards the ground until it runs out of air and hits the ground. And, and so there's something clearly funky going on. Yeah. The idea that in a vacuum, things aren't moving. People who started thinking about the idea of a sun-centered solar system had a reaction to this. And, and so it was actually Galileo who initially started doing the hard experimental work to, to overturn this idea. Now, he wasn't the first one. So, so we had, well before that, we had Lucre Lucretius, who was working in the last century BC, who was trying to say that the default state of stuff isn't to be at a dead stop, which was Aristotle's idea, that if you left anything in motion, it would come to an eventual stop. He, he decided this probably didn't make sense. John Philip Hannes said that the idea of the median keeping things going, there were issues with it, and, and the void probably wouldn't limit motion was was this the theory the impetus theory was this that well the the impetus theory is all tied into it and the impetus theory finally came out in the 14th century bc and and this was an idea that air is somehow pushing and that when you give something energy when you push it when you accelerate it you're giving it an impetus, and then that can get dissipated into the surrounding, well, this is where friction comes in, but they didn't have friction yet. <laughs> Galileo is the one who really came up with a solution for this. And one of the big problems they have is they didn't have clocks. And, and so in Aristotle's thinking, and, and Aristotle did not believe in experimentation. Aristotle believed in thinking. 
and right. and that a true understanding of the universe could come from thinking. This is one of those classic examples, right? We had these ancient uh, these ancient scientists, you know, ancient Greeks, who would argue about the number of teeth that a horse had, right? And, and then somebody would go out and say, "Well, I'll just count them," and they're like, "No, we don't do that." Right. And and what's funny is is sometimes it seems like there's very little difference between particle physics today and regular physics back then. Um, <laughs> sorry, oh, zing, <laughs> zing. In case no, people just, missed that, so that was Pamela zinging the particle <laughs> physicist. Well, it's Send just... any letters to Pamela Gay, you know, Starstrider at gmail.com. So so. You had all of these people philosophizing about how things move, and they actually believed that acceleration of a falling object was a linear process. So so you go a distance, you accelerate an amount. You go twice that distance, you accelerate twice as much. And the reality is that it's a square relationship. So so your your acceleration go one unit of time, you go one unit of distance. Go two units of time, it's it's going to be if, so. Uh, let me actually do one and two units of distance, two units of time, four units of distance. That does the math a little bit easier. Right. And and so so you have this square relationship going on, and um, you have to have a clock to figure that out. And it was Galileo who didn't solve the clock problem, but figured out a circumvention of it with what's called the water clock. If you have a very large surface area on a container, the rate at which the water level falls for small amounts is fairly linear over time. So you're getting a constant stream of fluid coming out. So every beat of the clock is a set of volume of water coming out. So what he did was he built this drum of water that had a system with water coming out the bottom that he could turn on and off. And he would very carefully weigh the amount of water that came out after a ball had gone a certain distance. And and the one thing, the one miscalculation that's in this is an object that's rolling actually has slightly different physics than an object that is sliding down. But it's such a small correction that it didn't affect the physics in this course. Right, but this was a way that Galileo could could slow down time. Essentially, he could make an object fall as quickly or as slowly as he needed to using be able using an inclined plane. Using an inclined plane, right? So that he could he could say, well, it's too fast for me to measure the stuff just dropping it. So let's use an inclined plane, and then I can measure the stuff in a much more slow. You know, everything unfolds in in slow time. Brilliant, absolutely. So, so brilliant. He, we did he, those. Do you do that experiment with your physics students? Uh, I don't do it at, at SIUE. When I was at Harvard, we did this, and and we did everything we could to stay similar to what he did, while not killing ourselves. So so what he did was he actually used a many meters long inclined plane made out of um, a carved groove. He lined it with parchment to decrease the friction absolutely as much as possible. He created the water clock. He marked off the distances going down the inclined plane, and measured how long it took it to go one unit of distance to go two units of distance and so on all the way down well what we did because well wood weighs a lot is uh we use pvc pipe because that starts out nice and parchment smooth and so we had things going down a a half tube of pvc pipe that students used grease pencils to mark and we did build um our own water clocks using surgical hosing and those big old buckets that you get when you're tarring your driveway so then what is the relation to inertia, though? How does this play into the story that we're telling? Well, what he figured out 
as he decreased friction as much as possible, is that when you sense something going down the inclined plane, it would just keep going down the other side if it was flat. But if he ended up with two back-to-back -back inclined planes and decreased the friction as much as possible, it would go up to basically the same starting height. So he was able to take how much potential energy, and he didn't have these concepts. It took Newton to get to gravity. But he could start it off at the top, it would accelerate down, and then it would decelerate up. And as he lowered the plane, it went further and further and further. So he was able to say that whatever was needed to go up that incline dissipated the motion. But if there was no force, if there was no something acting on the object, it would keep going forever. And he actually, in writing about this, um, trying to explain the concept of friction, he, he had some great discourses where he, he was basically, he had different characters arguing over what friction was. And this is where the little demons argument comes in, where there were people basically saying that there's little demons out there that are stopping the things and getting them to stop moving and that when you smooth something off you're clearing the demons off and things like that and, <laughs> and it's, it's a, things off to clear the demons it's, off it's it's a brilliant if you ever have have a chance to read the discourses uh that galileo wrote they're brilliant and you can instantly see why he got himself in so much trouble with the pope yeah if people haven't read these they absolutely should you know i'm sure it's all available open source out it, there somewhere it should be there's a great source of galileo related everything yeah. at rice university and he wrote in a very accessible style and yeah. he was clearly poking fun at the people who disagreed with him who also happen to be very powerful people who were able yeah. to put him in jail. But that's, you know, that's a whole separate show that we've already done on Galileo. So so Galileo gets to the point that he's he's created this, um, he's, he's figured out that there is some kind of inherent motion that is accumulated by the object rolling down the hill, which it then dissipates again as it goes back up. So, so how did this sort of carry the concept of inertia forward? So we went from an... Aristotelian view of the universe in which a object in motion comes to a stop to a way of looking at it of a object in motion will stay in motion unless friction or something else acts on it to eventually when Newton came along the idea of we finally started to get friction we finally started to get gravity we finally started to get all of these things mathematically described and it became an object in motion stayed in motion unless acted upon by an external force so suddenly everything got quantified and here you have things stay in motion in straight lines unless they're working in unless they're worked on by an external force as well and this was one of those things that folks really struggled with because with with galileo's view of they keep going in a straight line but but why do the planets keep orbiting that was a serious challenge that newton had to figure out how to address and that's where gravity became such an important part of understanding inertia basically Right. And so if Aristotle had really just thought a bit and looked up and noticed that the planets are flying through space, of course, he didn't know that there was no, uh, no, no air up there, right? It would have 
They thought it was like some kind of ether, I guess. Right? <laughs> well, and he had them embedded on spheres. On spheres and spheres were trying. Okay, never mind. See, he never would have figured it out. But but the point being, right? <laughs> that uh, oh, um, the the point being that that you've got the situation where uh, you've got these objects. They are they are moving, and yet they're going in a circle. Why don't they stop? Why don't they spiral outward? Why don't they spiral inward? What's going on? Right. And, and this is where we had to understand that the force of gravity connects two points at their center of mass. And, and if my microphone here is the planet Earth and this rock is, is the moon, then what's happening is if the moon had no velocity, gravity would pull it straight into the Earth, and that would be a very bad thing. But... Because the moon has a velocity that's trying to carry it forward, the force of gravity is constantly pulling it in, causing it to constantly arc inward, but it has enough velocity so that it never actually hits the Earth. So it's trying to go straight, gravity is trying to pull it down, and the result is a almost circular motion. Right, so you've got this situation where you've got these planets that are moving, uh, that nothing's slowing them down, they're not spiraling outward, they're not spiraling inward, what is the force? Why are they kept going in this circular orbit around the Earth? And this is this concept of gravity and, and inertia, so. And, and so this is where, for a while, there was actually people thinking that um, inertia wasn't just an object in motion stayed in motion in the same way, but an object in motion could either stay in motion in a curve or in a straight line. Well, today we now know that an object in motion will stay in motion with the same vectoral motion that it had to begin with unless acted upon by an outside force. And a vector defines both its speed and its direction. But in the case of the planets, of course, they're orbiting in a circular vector. I mean, they've got multiple forces pulling on them, right? So, no, that that's... So, so the thing is, you, vectors are, are straight lines, but then you can um, define them across... Well, a vector is something that has multiple characteristics. So, velocity is something that only has a speed and a direction. The planets are actually accelerating, which means their exact velocity is constantly changing because that direction right. is constantly changing. Now, if an orbit's a perfect circle, then its speed is constant at all times, but its velocity is constantly changing as that direction changes. Right, right. Okay. Um, so then, so where did sort of Newton's sort of main main discovery come in? Well, it, the the story, as frequently told, is he was sitting under a tree and saw an apple fall and saw the moon in the sky and had this epiphany that a falling apple and a falling moon are the exact same thing, except the moon is missing the planet. And the analogy that often gets used is if you have a cannon and you put the cannon on a hill, when you fire the cannonball, if you have it with sufficiently low velocity, it lands on your foot. Um, assuming you're standing right in front of the cannon. If you hit it with larger force, it goes a larger distance. If you hit it with larger and larger force, it goes a larger and larger distance. And it always arcs down to the planet, though, as it as it falls, because gravity is constantly trying to pull that cannonball back to Earth. 
Well, if you use enough force to fire that cannonball, it's going to gain sufficient velocity that Earth's pull only succeeds in bringing it around so that you hit the butt of the cannon. Now, if you hit it with even more force, you can actually start to hit escape velocities, and this is what we do with rockets, in which case the force of gravity is insufficient to change the initial velocity sufficiently to get the cannonball to return to the planet. So then, I mean, he also, I mean, he really famously coined that phrase, right? That a body moving, body in motion tends to stay in motion and an object at rest tends to unless stay at rest. Unless acted so, upon by an external force. Unless acted upon by an external force. Right, exactly. So so how did this sort of change people's understanding of, of the objects moving well, around it, them? It was a sudden epiphany that everything is connected by forces and and that when we see something happen one of two things has to be true. There's either a force acting on the system or we're looking at a system that's undergoing acceleration. And this is where we start to get into inertial and non-inertial frames of reference. So if you're in an accelerating car, that's a non-inertial frame of reference so that when you look at the hanging dice hanging from uh, your 1970s vintage automobile's rearview mirror, um, you'll see the dice don't hang straight down towards the center of mass of the planet Earth. As you're accelerating, they will actually sway backwards and that's because it's a accelerating frame of reference and an inertial frame of reference is one in which there's no acceleration taking place and this is why as you go around a corner you feel pushed up against the side of the car yeah. right because you you tend to want to stay in the motion that you were going which is in this case you wanting to move straight forward but the car is now exerting an external force on you on your you know left shoulder that is pushing you around the corner with it and so your body is pushing back against the side well, of the car the, and that's it, what you feel this is where crazy fictional forces come into play because as your car whips around that corner as little kids in the back seat always know because you try to purposely smush each other into the door yeah yeah you feel like you're getting forced to the outside of the car but the actual force is towards the center of the circle. So this is why when you have a ball on a string, the ball stays on the end of the string. It's because the force is going towards the center of the circle. Now, there's this sudden, wait, hold on, but the kids are flying outwards. Well, no, the kids are simply trying to go in a straight line, and the car is getting in the way of that straight line. And so what you're experiencing is this frictional force on your butt. Your body's trying to keep going straight forward. And as the car curves you're getting caught by friction basically and that's you want to go in a straight line you're failing to go in a straight line the car is preventing you from going in a straight line you feel like you're getting flung outwards the reality is the real force is towards the center of the circle now this was all fine and good and uh you know completely changed everyone's thinking about the universe and the motion and physics and you know helped lead to the steam <laughs> age and all these great technological investments and thanks isaac newton but this was all sort of thrown 
up, you know, was sort of thrown out the window again when Einstein came. Well, along. it wasn't so much thrown out the window as it was changed. So as as we started trying to figure out frames of reference, as as we started trying to figure out what is an inertial frame, suddenly in a relativistic situation, things started to become much more curious. So suddenly when you're looking at your frame of reference, you realize every observer has their own frame of reference. You start to realize everything's in motion. You start to realize there is no such thing as a truly inertial frame of reference. I mean, we, we can pretend that we have a non-accelerating frame of reference. If, if you're standing next to a railroad train and a railroad train goes by and you see someone drop a ball in the window, relative to the moving train, that ball falls straight down. Relative to you, you'll see it starts falling here, it lands over here because the whole window moved sideways. So within the train, it seems to be a non-accelerating inertial frame of reference. You can go back and forth between the two frames of reference, but you're on the surface of a planet going in a circle, which means you're actually constantly changing velocity as you stay adhered to the surface of the planet. But over a small distance, we're able to make these assumptions. But when we start looking at larger and larger distances, we start having to worry about things like Coriolis force, we start having to worry about the effects of the fact that the planet is rotating underneath you and all of these different things start to come together and life gets more and more complicated. Now add to that the effects of time contraction, add to that all of the relativistic effects and suddenly defining inertial frames is a nightmare because they don't totally really exist and every observer is their own observer. And that's where the headaches start to set in. Yeah. Yeah. But, of course, the predictions made by Einstein perfectly match the measurements that are made in space to a level of accuracy that, that Newton could have only dreamed about. Yeah. And, so, and, and one of the beauties of all of this was this realization that whenever we're dealing with things, the proper way to think of them isn't a object of a given mass moving at a given velocity. It's to think of it as an object with a set amount of momentum. Because it's the momentum that things carry with them that has the true impact, just to be unintentionally punny. And and so the example I use in class a lot is you can imagine a three-year-old and a sumo wrestler on roller skates. If that three-year-old starts going as fast as it can, skating towards the sumo wrestler it's carrying a set amount of momentum that it's going to impact into that sumo wrestler who, assuming no friction, no uh, inelastic parts of the collision, um, they're going to bounce off of each other and the sumo wrestler is going to be basically unaffected and the three-year-old's going to go flying off in the opposite direction. Now, if you instead have two sumo wrestlers doing this, um, you're going to end up with, perhaps, if you get a second equal mass sumo wrestler coming along and hitting at the same velocity as that small child was, well, that big other sumo wrestler is now going to take all of that velocity and start going in the, in the same direction, and that first dude will stop cold, just like a pool ball will. Yeah, a pool. I was going to, you know, talk about that pool ball example, right? Which is which is a wonderful example of this transfer of inertia, right? You take a, you have a ball sitting on the on the transfer table. Transfer momentum. Transfer momentum. Sorry, and you you shoot your you shoot your cue ball at that ball. That your cue ball, you know, in a perfect world, stops perfectly, and now that second ball is moving. 
And and the and key just, to achieving that perfect world is to have the two centers of mass completely line up so that, that when it hits, all of its force goes straight into to, um, an impulse on the other one and all of the momentum gets cleanly transferred. Now, the reality is that most of the time when you hit pool balls together, it's it's not that perfect center of mass and you end up hitting slightly off center. And so this is where you hit it and it veers off. And if you get good, you can actually hit something with a glancing bolt blow and cause it to go off at close to a right angle. That is really cool. All right, well, I think we made our way through uh, through this episode of, of Inertia. So once again, thank you very much, Pamela, and we will see you next week. I'll see you next week, and hopefully the internets will be with us. Yes. All right. This has been Astronomy Cast, a weekly facts-based journey through the cosmos. Show notes and transcripts for every episode are available on our website. Check it out at astronomycast.com. You can send us any comments, questions, or feedback to info at astronomycast.com. We read every email. The show is a nonprofit educational resource provided by Fraser Kane and Dr. Pamela Gay. We're supported through the kind donations of listeners like you. If you enjoy Astronomy Cast, why not give us a donation? It helps us pay for bandwidth, transcripts, and show notes. Just click the donate link on the website. All donations are tax deductible for U.S. taxpayers. You can support the show for free, too. Write a review or recommend it to your friends. Every little bit helps. Click support the show on our website to see some suggestions. To subscribe to the show, point your podcatching software at astronomycast.com slash podcast.xml or subscribe directly from iTunes. Music is provided by Travis Searle. The show was edited by Preston Gibson. Astronomy Cast is produced at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville with generous support from Universe Today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.